Alrighty. Welcome to the Celtics Lab Podcast brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. I am Kevin Chip-Tobai. I'm coming to you live from TD Garden with Boston Celtics. Just dusted off the Miami Heat, 119 to 111. I'm talking to Dr. Justin Quinn, who's coming to you from Mexico City, where, Justin, what's good in Mexico? Well, the Celtics won. Uh, I stayed up to watch it and help you get that lovely, lovely content out. And I predicted a loss on our last podcast, uh, which I am now eating crow for. Uh, But all the things I was worried about, we saw some sampling of, which we could talk about in a moment. We will talk about that in a moment. And then later in the podcast, we're going to be joined by Yossi Goslin of Hoops Hype and USA Today to talk about what's good with the Celtics cap situation, the roster situation, and what might happen in a few weeks, a few months, and maybe even a few years. But first, let's talk about that Heat game. If you wanted our analysis on uh, the Knicks game or my conversation with Ronnie 2K, go to our most recent episode. Um, Dr. Quinn, you hinted at something that's very true, which is the Celtics won the game, but they did not always look like a very good basketball team. Um, Although I will say Miami hit a ton of shots despite some okay defense from Boston at times. So the arc of the game for the YouTube crowd, you'll see on my hand for the audio folks, I'll just explain. The Celtics were pretty good, then they were very bad, then they were very good at the end of the second quarter, then they were kind of bad again, then they were way better than the Heat in the fourth, and that's what mattered most. So they won the win, they won the game, they grabbed a win pretty convincingly, but with some sputtering along the way. Um, anything from that game summary that I missed? I mean, I guess we could say that the Miami Heat know what they need to do to be a much more talented, in terms of individual players, Boston Celtics squad. But this time around, the players are even better on Boston side and even worse on the Heat side. And that was enough to get them where they got to. But there are still some things, some new exploitable things that I think are going to have to be uh, paid attention to in future matchups. Like the, the Bam out of bio matchup was just very bad for Kristaps Porzingis. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the, his athleticism is just something he, he has trouble defending. Uh, he was biting on a bunch of pump fakes. It was not his best performance, but he recovered well enough, even though he ended up falling out. Yeah, what's interesting, so when Bam really got to uh, Porzingis, it wasn't he just out-muscled him, but he was like a little faster and a little uh, more clever. And if you think about Giannis, if you think about Embiid, you think about uh, the Joker, they can do that too. They can put the ball on the floor, they can back you down. So it's going to be interesting to see if Porzingis, when he catches a big guy, not at the rim, but kind of like in space, out of bio, like really ate his lunch a lot of times, or, Porz- or Porzingis was overextended. I mean, they played small often. I mean, there was a pairing with Horford and Porzingis for a little bit there, but um, Porzingis was kind of on an island defensively. And maybe it just like it was a bad matchup, but maybe that, that isn't sustainable. I would actually, you know, we saw a very little bit of, that, of it uh, in the Knicks game, but I would like to see, particularly for matchups like this, uh, a little bit more run with Jason Tatum at the five. Because mm-hmm. I don't, th- for basically what we are seeing Porzingis have to deal with is more or less what I think we would see Bam dealing with on the reverse if they play super small and run him at the five. Yes, I know that's not a viable option for, for really most of the season, but for matchups like this, particularly 
very bad ones until the Celtics go out and trade for, I don't know, I guess Andre Drummond, but some big that's a little more skilled uh, with a little more heft uh, in their feet who can help offset, uh, and, you know, maybe some athleticism too would be nice. So just get a star uh, all NBA guy while we're at it. Uh, until they have a, a better solution, I think that that's probably one of their better options. One thing that I thought was interesting for this dynamic is the Celtics were extraordinary rebounding the ball. They out-rebounded Miami 55 to 45, and they grabbed 16 offensive rebounds. I asked Joe Mazzulla after the game if this was by design or if this team rebounding thing was kind of organic, and he, he didn't really give an answer, but listen to these stats. They're astounding. Eight rebounds for Tatum, six for Porzingis. Oh, no, those are just regular rebounds. Eight for uh, Tatum, nine for Porzingis in the game, 10 for Holiday, six for White, six for Brown, five for Zet, 10 for Horford. They were flying in left and right. So as much as, you know, they, they didn't look great uh, stopping Bam at the rim and, and on cuts, Miami was reasonably effective. They really crashed the boards in a way that, like, maybe they were compensating for the dynamic that we're just explaining. That, like, look, if you're small, you have to be really determined with defensive and offensive rebounding. Um, but, yeah, Boston looked great on the glass. Um, active, proactive, and it led to a lot of fast break points, too. So did. Incidentally, a couple of <laughs> freaking amazing chase down blocks from Derek White, also from Drew Holiday. Um, what do you, you can stick with rebounding or we can transition talking about the defensive play from the guards, but uh, what are you buying and what are you selling? I am buying that there's a very distinct possibility that Derek White is the team's best rim protector, <laughs> which cool. is uh, like that only half of a joke, honestly. Uh, he had three that I was aware of, it felt like he had more, uh, and Drew adding in on that, uh, between like his, his, his chase down block from behind, uh, just watching like the, the traditional roles of what you would expect from two backcourt players, particularly on the court at the same time is just, it's very impressive to watch and I'm looking forward to a full season of, of this backcourt because they're just eating players lunches left and right. And for, for what was billed as Mozilla ball with finesse, uh, what I think we're seeing is a different and very interesting brand of defense that has you know, provided a bit of, uh, shall we say, a safety break for when the offensive struggles we are seeing early in the season. That we honestly we expected, as I said earlier, I predicted a loss. And between the combination of that steadying defense and these new wrinkles, as well as some good energy off the bench from hungry or a hungry player in O'Shea Brissett, uh, mm -hmm. though that mix of things I think pulled a win out of what would very easily have been a loss last season. Yeah, that seems to be like a, a pretty obvious takeaway. It's like this the Celtics team loses that game, not just last season, but the season before that, and probably the before that too. Um, Boston closed the first half on a 17 to 6 run, which uh, really highlights your point, I think, because it started with not just defensive plays, but like hard nosed plays. There's that one sequence where Drew cuts and gets a contested layup. And then on the inbounds, Jalen reads the inbounds, steals it, and dunks. And it's just that high active, uh, proactive approach that Boston's got to take um, not just to survive but like because they're so talented that in a hurry they can really stomp on another team because as much as they scored 17 minutes to close that half 
they kept Miami to six points. And really that was four points until uh, Miami got two free throws with like 30 seconds to go in the first half. Um, and so the, I, I thought the takeaway from this game is that the blueprint was there. That a part of it is also they're going to be streaky. They ended the game shooting 41% from three, but they hit a lot of threes in the second half. They weren't a particularly good shooting team in the first half. So we're going to kind of have to like patiently play that game all season long. That's just like incumbent in modern NBA basketball, but also Celtics basketball. But this idea that they can dictate the terms of engagement on defense and maybe on the boards. I, I don't know if this rebounding thing is sustainable or not, but I love it. If some it teams, I for some it. teams, yeah. I mean, also outside of Bam, want, the Peter are a really small team. I want to see more players coming off the bench uh, with a quick hook for, like, when we think back to the preseason game when Delano Banton got pulled for not getting that 50-50 ball, uh, I want to see more of that with anyone yeah. who's coming off the bench and not giving effort. Uh, you know, mistakes, as long as they're not boneheaded mistakes, let them play through it. I know that's a Mazzola thing, and it's a good thing, honestly, in certain contexts. But there were some moments where it didn't really seem like Sam Hauser and particularly early on Jalen Brown really had the sort of level of engagement they needed to to make the impact that was required for what they're doing. So I know they're not going to, you know, sit a $300 million player uh, super, super fast, but there are other players who I think that they can use as they did with O'Shea uh, to provide a spark because this might be the only night they play for two or three or four games. I think we'll see a lot of that this season. What's interesting is, so Brissett didn't play against the Knicks and when Missoula was asked, Missoula said, I plan to play him in the second quarter. He didn't explain why that, that might be the case, but he ended up playing him in the uh, tail end of the first quarter because Boston needed kind of a kick in the butt. And if you go down the roster, there's kind of even keeled guys off the bench. I mean, Al, Al Horford right now might be like the most emotional guy off the bench, but Brissett was scrappy. He himself has three offensive rebounds and he ended up playing, oh no, uh, in 14 minutes. He only played 14 minutes. He got three offensive rebounds. Um, he was plus seven overall. I know that plus minus is not a super important stat or like a predictive stat, but everyone on the Celtics was at least a plus three, except Porzingis was a minus 12. And I think it, it's probably just what we were identifying is he was often left alone to like hold down the fort at the rim and that didn't work, but it stands out. I'm, look, I'm just looking at a box score in front of me. It stands out like a sore thumb. Uh, I get more Celtics takes, but just quickly, what do you think of the Heat? Better than expected, which way better really, than expected. Yeah, no, not not for me, just because the, the the Miami Heat are the new doubting LeBron. You know, like we can doubt LeBron now; he's immortal. But yeah. the Miami Heat—they uh, keep finding these players. They found some more of them. Uh, I couldn't even. I don't even remember the names of some of the people this guy who Drew are playing Smith, fairly. Really, yeah, 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 he's a rookie, right? I think so. They just signed him. I think he's on a two-way, or, or yeah, they just or something like that. It doesn't. It, it's a it's a heat scrap scrap heap uh, special. Not to say that he is scrap, but his career may have been looking like scrap had he not landed with the Heat, and now he's providing meaningful minutes yet again. Uh, they find these guys, they they develop them up, they get them in the system, and as much as I am pleased with how Boston dealt with this thing, there are still effort. There are still like. Jalen Brown made some very good decisions later in the game when he was dealing with, you know, dribbling the ball into traffic. 
The first mm-hmm. half of the game, not so much, and we all were talking about it. Uh, so it's it's good to see him react and absorb that lesson in real time rather than having to talk about it post-game, but he's going to, as the shoes he said, do better, or the shoes he's wearing, uh, say. So there are some promising things we can take from this game uh, on, on the Celtics side, but Miami still has Boston's number, and it's going to require continual uh, consistency on Boston's part if they're going to be safe from a run-in with the Heat in the postseason. Yeah, I'll just run through a couple of Heat takes because we'll, we'll keep it on the Celtic side of the street. Um, Kevin looked, Kevin Love looked bad. Like, I'm He's old He's almost my age, man. I mean, what do you expect, poor dude? But like, yeah, like, he, but that's what I mean. It's like, he looked bad. Like, it's, it's over. Not like he had a tough night. Jimmy Butler had a tough night, but it, it wasn't like and he cooked. Um, Kevin Love looked like he's in a different stage of his career. Jimmy Butler did not have a good game. Bam Adebayo had a great game. Kyle uh, Lowry he, had a solid game. After like, going a six-point debut, which uh, Paul Pierce was very uh, sure to point out on, on the call with uh, Mike and Scal. That was a nice moment. Oh, I didn't get to hear that. Um, yeah, Kyle Lowry was pretty good. Um, Tyler Hero was exceptional. Um, like I said, Boston played okay defense. I feel like he's motivated for some reason. Yeah, I can't imagine why. Boston played pretty good defense most of the night, and there were just stretches where Miami was shooting like 60-something percent from the field, like where they were they were really uh, pouring it in. And I would say that Tyler Hero was a big, big part of that theme. Um, Caleb Martin, late scratch. So, you know, this wasn't a final product for a Heat team. Um, and I think we all assume they're going to make some sort of trade. So certainly, like, we can't make – any assumptions about like what this would look like in the spring. Although to your point, like Miami, Miami played them tough. I mean, even if it doesn't, this is a team to fear. Yeah. Going back to plus minus, the only player with a positive plus minus for the heat is Kevin Love and he's plus 13. So either plus minus doesn't know anything or I don't know anything. I don't know. Um, What did you think of Missoula's approach over the past two games, Um, either in game or in his commentary well i have very little to say about that which means there's not too much to say about it right uh no like weird like call a timeout now please moments uh in fact he called a couple of timely uh timeouts in both games you know i know it's an overbearing uh trope shall we say but it's something that uh, i was expecting to come up and it really hasn't in terms of Game management, rotations. Um, the, the only complaint I've already made, which is I want to see a little bit more off of the bench when when like Sam Hauser was just not clear. He clearly was not having a great night tonight. It wasn't a bad night. He was defending okay. He wasn't making any stupid mistakes. But like if he's not shooting and he's not hitting, he shouldn't be out there, right? Someone who can do something else should be out there. Besides that, uh, I don't really have anything to say at all, which is a great thing because, you know, like the rest of the team, he is rusty, presumably, and could easily be making mistakes. And I didn't see any obvious ones, honestly. I have something to say. It is distinct when you watch a team like Miami or a team like the Warriors to see what a really well-orchestrated, considered offense looks like. And the Celtics have a lot of talent. They do not have that. The number of times where a pick-and-roll or, like, a single action failed and then it just came down to one-on-one, like, 
it was kind of alarming for the Celtics. I mean, they, they have enough talent that they can. I don't know that if you could put that on Joe, though, because that has been the hallmark of the Celtics going back through now three coaches. You know, they just don't necessarily do the things that are being described by the coaches. And this year, probably to his credit, Joe did not do much in the way of saying how the team is going to play, what they're going to do, et cetera. In the same way that, for example, we had Udoka saying when he signed on talking about ball movement, the ball movement is a problem. It's a big problem for now. I'm ascribing that to lots of mouths to feed and a pecking order slash maybe not even pecking order, but how to distribute those shots uh, fairly evenly because really this is a really loaded uh, first unit. And I kind of think that that's something that they have to feel out, but if it continues, then yeah, some of it is on Joe in terms of being able to get them to listen. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think he likes running a read offense, but that doesn't, it's not a comment that it's a motion read offense um, uh, point taken that, you know, this is not the first time we've seen the Celtics descend to your turn, my turn, but I just, I guess because they're playing the heat, I can't imagine Eric Spolcher coming in and them not, not running a beautiful offense. I mean, if you look at the heat had 24 assists, uh, 12 turnovers and 38 made baskets. That's playing the home game. You can do the math. Boston had 20 assists. So fewer assists, 15 turnovers, more turnovers and 45 made baskets. So, um, I'm not saying it all has to be Spurs basketball or Warriors basketball or like finely tuned. Like if you have the talent to go one-on-one, you can simplify it with a pick and roll. And actually I, I want to, well, that, you I'm, I'm, know I, where I'm going with it. Hallelujah. Um, <laughs> if you aren't going to pass the ball, if you aren't going to run the offense, if it's not going to be Spurs East, like I wish it was Jason Tatum going back to the basket is remarkable. Um, with respect to that young man, Drew Smith, man Tatum ate his cookies like if he finds a smaller defender and Miami's playing Kyle Lowry and Tyler Hero that's a big problem for them Um, there are some exploitable defensive matchups there for the Celtics I just I want to be careful with this analogy because I don't I don't want to come across as hyperbolic but I, I feel sincere in it it feels like LeBron figuring it out with the heat the way that Tatum when he yeah. is in his bag and facing a smaller defender is next that's a really good example because that like even though the core of the heat was in place the the star turnover at the top was pretty substantial in terms of how they played and how they were going to play and well i i i can't tell you how the heat's first 10 games when they in their first season together with lebron went but uh if i recall correctly they didn't look quite as polished as boston does as sloppy as we have seen so that is actually something a to build on but also b like you have a good point like if you have the talent miami doesn't have the talent right yeah. so they have to play this way it would be really good for boston to play this way particularly if they find themselves in a situation with less talent for reasons i won't talk about because as dumb as it is i'm superstitious i'm not superstitious i guess i'm a little stitious yeah i, I think that the, co- the coaching takes miami from a bad or average team to a good and a streaky great team. Um, again, it, it probably is just, I happen to really like the San Antonio Spurs. I always have. I happen to really like the Golden State Warriors. I really did when they were at their peak of powers. So I like that style of basketball. Um, I'd also, incidentally, I'm not a good one-on-one basketball player. So maybe I, <laughs> I just have a bias there, but I, I don't know. I just, 
Team basketball See, wins. There's a reason why Bill Russell has several more rings than Wilt Chamberlain. The individual yeah. talent is great, but if you don't have a winning team, you're not winning the game. Fair enough. Okay, so in a moment, we're going to transition to actually a conversation we had a few days ago with Yossi Gosselin, but through the magic of editing, will appear before your, your your balls and your eyeballs. Um, eyeballs. Boston, Boston will spend the next four... Uh, they've got five games in a row, four of which are on the road. A any extra early stock that you take it's against lesser opponents are playing like the Wizards and the Nets. Um, I guess my main, main takeaway is Boston continues to feel like a team that plays with their food and you conceivably they have like three or four trap games coming up. I don't think the Wizards are a trap game, but Donalo Gallinari has a reason to be extra motivated. So keep an eye on that. Oh, uh, this is Mike Muscala erasure. Thank you very much. Yep. Um, it is. I just gave him another bulletin board. I'm mean, not listening to this anyway. Uh, and Jordan Poole is liable to put up forty something. I'm sure. So along with ten turnovers. I mean, actually, I, I was going to say this before. So Boston starters played playoff minutes i mean tatum played 41 minutes which is somewhere between unnecessary and like almost irresponsible for a regular season game yeah, that's that's gonna stop too yeah no good well, point i wonder I, I do wonder the extent to which joe feels like either for himself or for the front office or for, for the players like let's get a few wins in the books it would be really bad to have coughed up a game to the next it'd been bad to cough up a game to the heat i and, disagree like, him... but i understand that mentality totally no, no, yeah, well, i think you're I, would... I think you're right yeah so the difference between starting the season 0 and 2 and then going on the road versus up 2 and 0 maybe that's part of it i mean the, the most of the questions that were asked to Joe were about Derek White who quote unquote made sick plays to quote Joe Mazzulla so i mean the proof is in the pudding they, when when they were good i mean they outscored Miami 32 to 23 in the final frame they were dramatically better uh the final 7 or 8 minutes of the game uh, which was not the case as, as we've established for all the minutes of the game, but for the ones that mattered most, Boston was pretty dang good. Um, they but, have long thought that they were a team that could flip the switch, and they might actually have a switch to flip now. Yeah. I mean, yeah, deep into the fourth, it was pretty close, and then they pulled away, and then Miami kind of, I don't know. Miami's a tough team. I respect the hell out of Miami. I mean, who doesn't? Um, already. So it's game two. Celtics are up two games to none. We won't have post-game recaps for you, beautiful Vivo, all the time. But this felt like an important one. It's yeah, also a Friday night, and yeah, and it's a Friday night. I don't have to teach in the morning, so that feels good too. So in a moment, you'll enjoy a conversation with Yossi Goslin of Hoops Hype about what's good with this Celtics uh, cap and roster. And soon. We have a special episode for you, but you'll just have to wait and see. So make sure you like and subscribe on your favorite podcatcher app to never miss an episode. And until then, I don't know, stay, you stay classy, Celtics Lab fans. Adios. Okay, I want to pause the action here and tell you that you can score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's 150 bucks if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, and you can take a look at things like spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com Boston and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. You must be 21 and older and present in Massachusetts. 
First online real money wager only. $5 pregame money in line wager is required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonuses are issued as a non-withdrawable bonus bet that expires seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fandle.com. Hope is here. Gambling help line ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. Go to gamesensema.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. Okay, back to the action. All right, as promised, we're going to hop into the lab portion of the programming, the Celtics lab. We're going to talk about what's going on with the Celtics cap, what it means for the present, the not-too-distant future, and the far future. And to do that, we welcome in a friend of the podcast, Yossi Goslin of Hoops Hype and USA Today. Yossi, how are you? I'm doing all right, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, as yeah. always, whenever we want to sound smart, <laughs> we say we should get Yossi on the pod. So we're not going to really talk about you know the games that are going on this week or anything like that. Instead, we're really thinking about roster design. And, and importantly, Boston has its eyes on a deep playoff run. And so you know, basketball games in October, November are fun, but there's bigger fish to fry, so to speak. Let me summarize where the Celtics are at. Justin or Yossi, if I get it wrong or I missed something key, please hop in. But then otherwise, uh, Yossi, I'll ask you what's important about that, what it all means. So Boston at the time of this recording, which you're hearing this after the Heat game, but actually it's Wednesday night. So maybe something will have changed is what I'm going to say. So they have 14 roster spots uh, guaranteed right now or, or full contracts. So they do have an open roster spot and they're $18 million into the tax. And importantly, Boston is over the second apron, um, which could be quite incidental for how, if they choose to, fill that 15th roster spot. So uh, a couple other things. They have a Grant Williams TBE, which is about uh, $6.2 million. And they have some guys in Maine that have two-way contracts that they could elevate. Those are the things we're going to talk about. Those are the parameters of the Celtics team this season. Dr. Quinn, before I swing it to Yossi, anything I missed from her notes that I should mention off the top? I don't think I can think of. No, that was pretty accurate. Hmm. Uh, Justin wrote the notes, so <laughs> that's good to know. Okay, so Yossi, with this new uh, apron structure, what does it mean to be a second apron team? Like, what are the limitations on Boston that other teams aren't facing right now? And you can summarize, you don't have to get into the weeds there. So right now, not too many limitations as far as this season is concerned. Most of them get kicked in next season. So the biggest one, which has already impacted the Celtics, is they don't have any MLE. So they haven't been able to go after anybody uh, like when they went after Gallinari last year. Uh, they've only been signing players of minimum contracts, which is important because had they used their MLE, they wouldn't have been. They probably wouldn't have been able to trade for Holiday. Uh, so they kept that flexibility by just signing minimum guys and they were able to uh, uh, still go over the apron to take on holiday, to, uh, take on more money. Uh, the other big one for this season is uh, no, well, this is a, a first apron thing. So anyone over the first apron, uh, this applies to them too. They can't sign uh, players that are bought out mid-season with a salary that was at least the uh, 12.4 million mid-level exception this year. So we don't know who those players are going to be yet. Still too early. Uh, 
but yeah, like the any veteran that was making a lot of money that gets cut, uh, just about most contenders will not be able to sign those guys this year. Uh, other than that, I think those are the biggest things uh, for this season. Yeah. So, so those players, if they make more than that in our waves, would they be allowed to, or does it anyone that much hot, like the MLE up? The 12.4 million mid-level, uh, exactly that amount or up, uh, cannot gotcha. be signed by the Celtics. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can't really think of who those players might be. Uh, Gordon Hayward, you know, maybe he's yeah, a, that's a good example. Uh, definitely will not be a Celtic this year. Can I ask a, a question you might not, maybe no one knows the answer to. Say Gordon Hayward does get bought out and he signs a 10-day with Indiana or something like that, and they don't pick that up. But he goes from Charlotte and his whatever it is, thirty million dollar contract to another team. Then could Boston sign him? Like, is there does, does the book? You might not know the answer. To that. I don't know if that that certainly hasn't been stress test yet. Uh, that's interesting. I would probably say the league would step in and say no. That's circumvention. Uh, yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, why yeah. else would he do that? Yeah. Why? Well, yeah. Maybe he gives it a go and it doesn't work. Yeah, I think yeah, no. That's true. Because look, I mean, but... I, I have to. I have read that portion of CBA. It, it says pre-waiver salary, so I don't okay. know. I, I don't know. I'll have to check again, but I'll look into that. Sure, sure. Not the point of this podcast, but I think Gordon Hayward to the Pacers would be an interesting move. Yeah. Okay. So but we can talk about the future because Boston's going to be really pigeonholed next year. They. I mean, it's a championship-level team, so it's an okay corner to be painted in, but they have um, some limitations. This 15th uh, slot that they have, uh, Yossi, I'll ask you about the financial limitations, and then Justin, we've talked about this, but I'll ask you about like what type of player they might uh, look at. But Yossi, they have this open roster spot. Actually, I have a two-part question. One, what are the parameters writ large about this? And second... We were talking about this last episode. Say they sign a guy like Blake Griffin and the league floats most of his salary. How much of that ends up on their tax bill? I would have to... A minimum salary won't increase it that much. Maybe maybe like in total might increase it by like $5 million at most because they're already pretty deep into the... They're in a pretty deep tax level. It might increase it by that much. So my feeling is Boston won't be signing anybody for now um there's a new rule that now teams cannot be under 14 players for a little while uh but the reason and and the celtics are at 14 but the reason i'm bringing that up is because there's not too much uh like games teams can play now to try to maximize their savings like the warriors are staying under 14 now and they can only do that for 28 total days in the season so if it was a if they if they didn't have this rule maybe the Celtics might already be at 15 players uh just to have that depth but I remember last year they started at 15 players just because Robert Williams was her so they had Vonley and then they ended up trading him so they got off the money completely so they have that alternative as well if they want to spare some uh picks or cash uh but thankfully they're healthy I don't think anyone's really hurt so just to keep that flexibility they'll stay at 14 players and then as we get closer to January, I'm sure that's when they'll start adding another guy because then they have the 10-day, uh, they can do 10 days 
they start trying out some guys. It, it, maybe they'll find maybe someone's available that gets cut that they want. Uh, they could sign them to a non-guaranteed deal uh, right now. Um, maybe like Queda, for example, if he ends up playing pretty well, he's a guy they, they could use that other big man. Um, so, uh, but as far as like the whole tax, what it brings, I would just imagine they're going to delay it as much as possible to uh, maximize that flexibility. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, Dr. Quinn, anything that, uh, from like a roster design uh, position might ask Boston to make a move quicker? I mean, if the big man rotation doesn't look like it's working and in the incredibly small sample size that I'm not going to talk about because we agreed not to talk about it on this portion of the podcast uh, holds true, then maybe they won't, right? But there's a pretty decent chance that the Celtics could need more big man depth. Uh, They could need more rebounding. But the problem is with the amount of tax that this player is going to bring in, they're really going to need to be worth the squeeze and available, which means that the the path for someone you know notable enough to to bring on to use a large chunk of the TPA beyond what the kind of like the minimum players uh, that Yossi was talking about is not very likely, right? So maybe there's a chance that some young player on a team is not going to be on that team in the future. But why would a team like the Celtics want to bring on a disgruntled player, for example, with what they have going on at the moment. So I don't really think that there's a very good likelihood that this ends up being used unless something very, very unlikely ends up aligning through sheer chance. So uh, that's, that's a good way to transition. So we were talking about just having a roster spot open in general. But Boston also has the $6.2 million TPE and a bunch of second round picks. So you could see a world where they swing a trade, where they send out just picks and they bring in a player to fill the Grant Williams TPE. I have here in front of me, uh, Javon Carter Carter actually makes $6.19 million. So uh, let's assume right now that that's like the stand-in type of player. Oh, Tyrese Halliburton makes 5.8. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Okay, so say it's Javon Carter at 6.19. They can just squeeze him in under the TP or something like that. I, I, maybe I'm, I'm wrong about this. Yossi, for anyone who's listening who doesn't know uh, how the tax system works in the NBA, just quickly, why would signing or, or rather trading for a $6.2 million player result in $20 million more in taxes for the Celtics? Uh, just this... The, the way the tax system works is every $5 million you go up, you pay a higher amount per dollar over. Uh, so, yeah, and I think that's pretty accurate. If they were to bring in like a five, six million dollar player, their tax would go up by like 20 mil. So you're basically adding like 25, 26 mil total. Um, when the Celtics let Graham Williams go, they were saving approximately 40 mil. And then they already got like, they went up like, I don't know, maybe 10 mil by getting back holiday. And if they were to get, use this trade exception, I think they'd basically negate all those savings. And that's not to say the Celtics really are prioritizing that. Uh, I think if the right opportunity comes along and they could use that trade exception specifically for another good big man, maybe can play like, 12, 14 minutes in the playoffs. I don't really think any of these big men off the bench other than Horford is, uh, will probably be uh, viable for that. 
then yeah, I think they would definitely look at that opportunity. The, the and I've looked into it. It's tough. There's not a lot of big men out there that really fits in that. Um, one thing that I've uh, pitched is the Celtics could use that trade exception, bring in a six million or so million dollar player, and then later trade that player for more money. They can take back up to ten percent of that of uh, of any player they send out. Uh, so maybe you can aggregate him and a guy like Cornette and, or another salary. And then now your options start to open up. You can really get some, some much better big men that fit into the role they probably need. Um, and hopefully they can do that without trading any first. So uh, it just, it's just tough though. Cause it's a lot of, it's like multiple trades and uh, there's no guarantee that they're going to be able to get, whichever guy they need so and i ultimately i I think they'll you know they'll they'll do what they can to try to get a trade done uh worst comes to worst hopefully some guy making below them at least gets cut and they can pick him up well i mean i just going through the list of player salaries right now that we're going to spend all season like making content around this so i don't want to give the whole game away but i'm struggling to find a name that makes sense Dwight Powell and Precious Achua are the first two. The only that. ones I was thinking of them also. I mean, there's at least a little bit of a chance that Toronto decides that they want to go in a different direction. But Precious Achua is pretty young, so I would expect a pretty hefty asking price if they're even willing to let go of him at all. But to that end, like what Yossi is saying, it's like even Boston says, like, we'll give up a first-round pick for that. Is it worth a 15 to $20 million tax bill for the ownership group? for a guy who's going to play, you know, 12 minutes in the playoffs, 18 minutes in the playoffs, maybe Wick has said as such, he wants to spend, but like when push comes to shove and I'm not trying to, you know, people always push back. Like, why are you counting a billionaire's dollars? I'm not counting those dollars, but he might be. And you know, he has to make that calculus. Um, Makes a little less in the mid-level. Maybe he gets bought out. That's a good one. That's not a bad one at all. Okay. It is October, um, so let's save it because, like I said, we're going to make content like this for weeks and months. Um, Dr. Cohen, I'll go to you on this one. Boston has a couple of non-guaranteed deals. You don't have to break down like whose guaranteed date is what, but um, who are the notable non-guaranteed deals on the books and who might they elevate to a regular season um, contract this year? You asking me? I'm asking you. Uh, off the top of my head, I know Delano Banton. I believe Lamar Stevens is non-guaranteed. Svi and Luke, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I thought Luke's became guaranteed on the first day of the season, but I guess I had that wrong. Um, uh, partially guaranteed. Had, uh, yeah, fifty percent. But I thought like the today or today or yesterday was like the big cutoff. But I guess no, 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 partial guarantee. They'll they'll get fully guaranteed. I think on the January something if uh, full guarantee date, six tenth something like that. Yeah, I think so. Svi, Banton, and Cornet all got now. They're all half guaranteed, roughly. And then um, Lamar is just uh, you know he just gets paid by the day, so he only get you know if he gets cut, then he's just owed for however long he was on the roster for. At this point, it'll be a couple of days removed, but Jack Simone over at Celtics blog, my boy had a great piece of Lamar Stevens that people should check out. Okay. Um, 
we are going to do a few more things here and then Yosi will cut you loose because uh, it's early. But uh, Peyton Pritchard was not extended. We here at the Celtics Lab podcast do not think that that's a big deal. But what do you think about that? Wait, Peyton Pritchard? He was extended. No, uh, Derek White. Sorry, did I say Oh, Derek White. Uh, oh, wait, just keeping that. you on your toes, man. Um, Derek White was not extended. We don't think that was a big deal. Yeah. That's to Pritchard. That, that's a nice deal. Um, yeah. So what do you think about the non-Derek White deal? No big deal. Uh, he can, ex- he's got a, usually these extensions with multiple years left on a player's deal rarely get done. You saw Giannis just do it, but he just did that out of loyalty. He just did the, did the Bucks a solid. He said so himself, oh, uh, like a month ago. Yeah, it doesn't make sense for me to sign the extension. Uh, and that's just the general idea that if a player is still young in his prime, really doesn't make it make sense to extend when you have multiple years that's less years you're adding so that's why you know it's but it sounds like in Derek White's case they were talking uh they were definitely like having negotiations so he was definitely interested it just maybe seemed like they couldn't come to a agreement on the details uh he because he can get his max extension is pretty big it could I think it's something like four for 100 or one well no three four um three years this time but uh now he can't do that so next year he'll be eligible for like four for 110 i think which is you know i i could see him being worth that but that would definitely be a new market setter if he got his max extension like like that full max extension because if you look at it guys like him smart um let's see what quickly gets next they're all making roughly 18 to 20 mil so for Mm -hmm. for them to make 25 26 mil a year uh and not be an all-star like drew holiday that's a lot of money uh but they are gonna all these guys are gonna have to get raises soon uh specifically what i think he's worth a little more so uh but he let's see i, I i'm sure they'll get something done next summer yeah it's interesting if white is a starter he should command in aggregate not aggregate not perfectly but like something like 20 percent of the cap right i mean not, not actually because max guys are getting 35 percent um, so somewhere in the market, he could get up to 20% of the cap. And as the cap keeps moving, um, maybe that, that number you're identifying is, is pretty accurate, but we'll see. Uh, but he has looked, obviously, pretty good in Celtics uniform, but maybe another team decides, hey, we want him to start over here and we've got the money for it. I, I suspect, to your point, he could probably make a lot of money as a free agent, Um in two years time, just because the landscape will have changed, but also because other people might come in and, and set the market for him. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on Drew Holiday extension? He's extension eligible in February. He's 33 right now. I guess I don't know when he turns 34. It doesn't really matter. Um, so, okay. So he, now the dates are a little complicated, but I think he's extension eligible like end of February, but that extension, but but now he, he really like the big extension. He becomes eligible six months after have getting traded to the Celtics. So when he got traded in like the beginning of October, right? So roughly April, then beginning of April, he can do the big extension. He can add up the four years. Uh, yeah. So in that deal, now there's a 
big the Celtics have a big benefit with the new CBA changes because it used to be that if a player has a player option and you want to extend him the uh, and you want to uh, change the option you can't go lower than that option so next year his player option is like 39 million if this was last year and they wanted to extend him they uh, they and they wanted to decline the option they would have to keep it at 39 or more Mm-hmm. now they can go lower than that and my feeling is that's the direction they're going to go like you saw Perzingis he making 36 million this year now he's going to make 30 million over the next two years he took a pay cut in his two-year extension I think he uh, Holiday probably gets something like a three or four-year deal if it's a four-year maybe like the last year is a team option uh, I'm sure it'll be a little you know the longer it goes you know, the more I would have to imagine the Celtics get a little more protection on the back end, but to go, but, but to give him the more years, then he's probably going to have to help him out in the short term. So instead of making 39 million next year, maybe he goes down to like 35, 34, and maybe he just makes something around that general range, which is huge. That'd be great for Holly. That's really why, you know, this getting traded was so good for him. He had a lot of say in where he was going to go, and I'm sure a big part of him going to Boston has to do with uh, his agent, Jason Glushan. He's got a lot of Celtics uh, players. Uh, we got Brown right now. Uh, Marcus Smart was there. Uh, Horford's there. So clearly he and Brad Stevens have a good relationship. They trust one another. So, uh, so clearly, so I'm sure there's a level of understanding of what holiday is going to be looking at uh, on his next deal. And I would guess, you know, this it's more or less figured out and they'll just sign it eventually. Tremendous. Well, Josie, I'm sure we will talk between now and then. Um, Like I said, at the top of the segment, whenever Justin or Alex or I have any question about how the cap works, we go to Yossi because Yossi understands this stuff in a way that I, only dream of. So I want to let people know that this episode of the Celtics Club podcast has been brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. We've been talking to Yossi Gosselin of Hoopsite in USA Today. Yossi, we certainly will have you back in February when a true holiday extension is pertinent, but I'm sure we will have you back. Yeah, before then. whatever. Until then, uh, I can't believe I'm saying this. Good luck to your Lakers and the early going. And um, hello to your little dog. And we'll catch you soon. Thanks, guys. All right, everyone else. Pleasure's ours. Thanks for listening to the Celtics Up podcast. Like and subscribe if you have not. And we will be back very soon with another season episode. We're finally back. Basketball's back. It's great. Until then, adios.